If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Toward the end of Isaiah this week, Isaiah 53, we've been largely in the beginning of Isaiah these last uh, several weeks in our Advent series, looking mainly at the the beginning of Isaiah, the prophecies about Jesus' birth particularly. Uh, Today, we're still going to focus on that same theme and that same idea, but we're going to come at it just a little bit differently than uh, you may have anticipated this morning. So we'll be in Isaiah chapter 53. I'll be looking at verses 2 through 6 this morning in our text. should be on the screens behind me if you haven't found it yet. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why are you here? It's hard for me to imagine somebody asking that question to someone in a way that's received as warm, as welcoming, as a good thing. When someone asks, why are you here? It's so rarely, wow, why are you here? It so often feels like an indictment. I mean, it doesn't really matter which word you emphasize. It's going to sound like there's something wrong with them being here. Why are you here? And that one, it's not that you're the one who's here. It's the reason you came that's the problem. Why are you here? You've evidently been sent just to annoy this person. Why are you here? That one might feel the most attacking of any of them because it's not the reason that you've come. It's not where you are. It's that you're the one who showed up. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? That one isn't you necessarily who's the problem. It's not the reason that's the problem. It's that you're in the wrong spot. You're here. She asked you to go pick up the kids from school, and yet somehow you are here when you should be there. Your location is the problem. Why are you here when you should be over there? This month in the lead up to Christmas, we've been looking at the prophecies in Isaiah that foretold the birth of Jesus, that talked about the coming Messiah, that said he is Emmanuel, who is bringing God's life and presence to his people. He's a given son to rule and reign over his people in wisdom and power and peace. He's the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the the rod of Jesse, as the song says, who's bringing hope for the future with him. But today, I think we get to the real reason why Jesus is here, the core reason, the most foundation reason why Jesus came. We see the real, most foundational reason Jesus was born in today's passage. And from these verses, we'll find three reasons why Jesus was born. Three reasons why Jesus was born is what we'll be able to see in our text this morning. And the first reason Jesus was born that we can see in our text this morning is that Jesus was born so that he would live a human life. He was born to live a human life. Look back at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So we follow through the progression in the prophecies of Isaiah that focus on the birth and growth of this coming Messiah. We saw back in chapter 7 that he would be conceived by a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel. We saw in chapter 9 that he would be born as a baby, a son, who would even have more titles added to him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Chapter 11, last week, that called him a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that he would grow up and bear fruit. And verse 2 this morning, I think, continues using that same kind of theme of growth that we can see. That he would grow up like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, like a shoot from the stump of what was. Similar to that same language that we saw last week. So what we can see here is that other than his miraculous conception, born of a virgin, notice how ordinary everything else here is. Yes, he's conceived by a virgin, but after that he's just born. He doesn't beam down in a ray of light from on high. He gets pushed out like anybody else does. He grows up, not immediately mature. He doesn't become a man immediately. He doesn't grow up at an accelerated pace. He goes through time in the same way that you do. He grows up just like any other human man would have. He's growing up out of a stump, but he's a shoot like any other branch. Even his appearance evidently is normal. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So from form's perspective, from an appearance's perspective, he's as normal as normal could be. I mean, you would hear that and say, that just sounds like any average, normal-looking person. In fact, if you're paying attention to that, it sounds particularly unflattering, right? I was never one to set people up, so I never really had to describe my male friends to anyone else. And I grew up in a time of Facebook. You could find the picture of any person you were looking for just by Googling their name into that search engine and be able to pull up a picture. But if I were telling you what someone looks like and I was trying to describe them to you, I don't think these would be flattering terms that I would be able to use for them. Well, he really doesn't have much form to look at. I wouldn't call him majestic. That's not really the word I would use. In fact, he's not really someone you should look at. I don't think beauty is the right word when I'm thinking of him. And in my experience, most people don't really find him desirable. That's not flattering. If someone said that about me, I'd be like, man, I thought like surely one of those didn't have to be quite so harsh. Wherever you hear them about Jesus, you're able to see that this is the description of an average person at best. You hear that and you're hoping that this sounds like just an average everyday person. I mean, no one is electing that guy president. No one sees that guy and thinks that he should be the quarterback of the football team. No one's impressed enough by him to give him any second thought. He has a forgettable face if there ever was one. But when it comes to Christ, this coming Messiah, I think these descriptors descriptors, actually counterintuitively reveal a lot of beauty in his coming, in his incarnation. I mean, he is God in the flesh, but he didn't come and live the pampered life of the rich and famous, of the glitterati, of the beautiful people. He didn't bring with him the natural charisma of someone who is beautiful. 
He didn't bring with him the natural metabolism of someone who is effortlessly jacked. When God put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to live a human life in every sense except for sin. You see, beauty, that would make it too easy for him. The guy who's effortlessly beautiful, the, I'm not going to name names, the, the actors, the whoever's of the world, they don't know what a dead-end nine-to-five looks like. They don't know what my existence looks like. Beauty, that makes it too particular, right? That would make it feel and make it seem like he only came for the people who are beautiful. I'm not beautiful. How can I identify with the perfectly handsome God in the flesh? But he didn't come in outward perfection just to redeem the outwardly perfect. He came in average form, without beauty, so that even those of us without beauty could be saved by him. He lived an average life so that we who live average lives can be saved by him. For every person who does not have it going on, Jesus is your guy. When he came, he came to live a normal human life. He didn't take any shortcuts. He didn't have anything handed to him. And all of that, every second, was voluntary. But he didn't just come to live a normal life. He also came to live a hard life, the text says. That's the second reason Jesus was born in today's verses. He came to live a hard life. Look at verse 3. He was despised. And rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was never fully accepted by mankind in his earthly ministry. Though he appeared to be an average person like anyone else, he didn't even receive the acceptance that the average person tends to. There were some people who were drawn to him and his message, but there were other people who just hated him and his message. I mean, the average person, they don't get crucified, but Jesus did. The average person, some people like you and some people don't like you, but the ones who don't aren't usually the most powerful people in the society. They're not usually the elite who are coming after you with all their power and influence. And even if they didn't like you, they're not usually going to use all of that influence, all of that power, just to kill average people. Why would they waste their time with that? The lack of acceptance here isn't just that, ah, well, they could have liked him more. It wasn't just an apathetic shrug. He was despised by his enemies. He was rejected by men rather than accepted. His life, though it looked average, it wasn't just average. In so many ways, it was below average. He was a traveling nomad with no place to lay his head. He was constantly harassed and questioned by the religious leaders. The text calls him a man of sorrows, knowing and experiencing pain and suffering, surrounded by the poor, the sick, the destitute. He was acquainted with grief. He knew what that felt like. And if you're being honest, I think surely you know that you know what that feels like too. I mean, every one of us, we've walked into a room and we felt like we didn't belong, like we weren't accepted here. You may not have been a racial minority in the room, but you were probably sometimes the only male or female, 
the only younger, older person, maybe the only Christian in the room, the only one who seemed like they didn't have their act together in that room. And I think you should know that in those moments specifically, in the times where you feel out of step with everything else, with everyone else, Jesus has had that exact same experience. He spent a lifetime in a place where he was never truly accepted, in a place where he was never truly honored. It says he was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and they esteemed him not. When you honor someone, it requires acknowledging, you know, who they are. Sometimes, depending on the context, you, you might avert your eyes, your gaze, you might hide your face from them out of reverence, out of respect, kind of a, a bow. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This hiding of the face is out of shame for the person. It's out of your discomfort toward the person. This is you not hiding your gaze because they shouldn't look at you. This is hiding your gaze because you don't want to look at them. Because of who they are, what they are, how they look. This is someone in a big city looking at their phone instead of the homeless man they're stepping over. This is you at a stoplight staring at the stoplight waiting for it to turn green instead of the panhandler who's like five feet from you. That's you averting your gaze because you are the one who's uncomfortable here. You're hiding your face so that you don't have to look at them, not because you don't want them to look at you. When Christ was on earth, he wasn't esteemed. He was born the poor son of a carpenter from Nazareth, that place where evidently nothing good ever came from. He was a wanderer, a nomad, with a message that people had trouble hearing had more trouble obeying, hearing that they were bigger sinners than they thought they were, that they needed to repent more than they thought they did, that in order to follow him, they would have to resign themselves to a life of hardship and likely poverty, just like he lived. That guy with that message, he doesn't get esteem. He's not invited to the palaces. He's not the featured guest at every party. Jesus, when he was born, when he came, he was living an average human life. It was perfect. He was perfect without sin. But he wasn't the conquering hero who had people constantly fanning him with palm fronds everywhere he went. He didn't have it easy. The circumstances of his life were hard. And I think this is perhaps the most amazing aspect of Christ's life. He didn't just step into human flesh and then, you know, live how you would expect God on earth to live. He became a man, and then he lived a life that you wouldn't want to live. His life was humble even by our earthly standards, not just the fact that he's God in the flesh living them. I mean, not everybody gets stuck in a manger wherever they're born. Not everybody is the assumed illegitimate child of that lady and the carpenter. Not everyone walked around with no consistent food or drink or stable housing. Not everyone was constantly questioned by the PhDs of the society. Not everyone was crucified. Not everyone died the terrible death that he did. But Jesus came not just to live an average life, but a hard life, a life of humility. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, a really famous passage where you're thinking about who Christ is and what he's done, says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see the descending humility there? Not just that he's God, that he should be getting that praise and that glory that he deserves, but that he empties himself and he takes the form of a servant, is found in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He lives a life of perfect obedience as an average man. He follows that obedience to the point of death and even that death is on a cross. All of that humility, all of it wrapped up in him. Not just to be average, but to be below average, to be worse than average, to live a hard life specifically and on purpose. And we just saw in that verse that his hard life was always designed to end in death. That's the third reason Jesus was born in today's verses. He was born to die. Jesus came to die For us. Look at verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In these final verses, we see the turn here, the real reason why all this happens. Not just saying that he did come to live an average life, not just saying that he did come to live a hard life, but why he came to do those things. Up until now, if you didn't know better, the verses could have been just describing some random loser. He grew up, you know, like everyone else does. He had no former majesty, not really a looker, He was despised and rejected by men. Okay, now we get into like elephant man territory. Now we're in a place that we don't want to be if you are this person. But then when we get to verse 4, it tells us the purpose behind all this. In his average and hard life, he was bearing our griefs. He was carrying our sorrows. He lives a, a real human life to insert and replace the normal, our life, with his perfection. He lives a hard life so that he can take that hard life from us. He has no form or majesty so that we might have his. He gives up his beauty so that he might make us beautiful. He is rejected and despised so that we might be accepted. He lives a life of sorrow and pain so that we might be comforted. He is acquainted with grief so that he knows our grief. He's not esteemed so that we might be in and through him. And the verse even talks like we've been reading this wrong the whole time. The people in this time, they saw all this as a judgment against him. We read all this and we might be tempted to initially think that like, man, this guy just did not have the favor of God. You look at his life of humility, his life of pain. It sounds like this is not God's favorite person in these verses. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought all this was his fault and what he deserved. It was just his lot in life to have a terrible one. 
But verse 4 shows us, it tells us that it was all for our benefit that he did this. You see, he wasn't just living that way. He was living that way in our place. He's bearing our griefs. He's carrying our sorrows. But then verses 5 and 6 keep going. He didn't just live that way for us, but he died that way for us. The piercing he received at his death on the cross wasn't on his own behalf. It was for our transgressions and sins. He absolutely was crushed, but for our iniquities and in our place. That we are the ones who deserve chastisement, but that was placed on him. And because it was, now we have the chance of peace. He was wounded, and because he was, we are healed. We went astray, but he's the one who reaped the consequences of our wandering. The Lord has placed on him all of our iniquities. And that's why he came. That's what this whole season, this whole holiday is really about. That's why we should be remembering this season. Not just that he was born, but that because of his birth, he was able to die. That he lived in our place so that then he could die in our place. That he took on humanity. He was born Christmas Day so that we could be saved. Because whatever was not assumed could not be redeemed. Every aspect of his incarnation, his virgin birth, his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension, it was all specifically designed to procure salvation for his people, to save us, his people. Anselm, a church theologian from about a thousand years ago, wrote a short book on why God had to become man, why Jesus had to come to earth as a man, as a baby. And in that book, he said this. It's kind of a lengthy quote, so just stay with me. For it was appropriate that, just as death entered the human race through a man's disobedience, so life should be restored through a man's obedience. And that just as the sin, which was the cause of our damnation, originated from a woman, similarly, the originator of our justification and salvation should be born of a woman. Also that the devil who defeated the man whom he beguiled through the taste of a tree, should himself similarly be defeated by a man through tree-induced suffering, which he, the devil, inflicted. All Christ did, he did to save us. Yes, his ultimate goal was the glory of God. We can make it more complicated if we have to. We can make it more nuanced if we have to. But at the core... The most foundational reason, particularly in this season, when we celebrate, you should know, is that Jesus was born so that he would die, so that you would be saved by repentance and belief in who he is and what he's done for you and on your behalf. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to, to read the Christmas story. And as I read these words, these same words you've heard so many times, I want you to remember specifically why Christ came. That he came to live a real human life. He came to live a hard life. And he came to die for your sins and for mine. Wherever I'm done, I'll pray and then we'll we'll sing our final song. And it's not strictly going to be a Christmas song. Uh, We're going to sing Jesus paid it all. Because he did. Because that's why he came. To pay it all. To save us. So as much as we want to celebrate his birth this season, we should. 
we have to remember that he was born so that he would die. And this is how he was born. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the Son of Man entered his creation to save his people from their sins. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for this season in which we remember the greatest gift that you've given us. Your son, your gospel, your substitution in our place. The chance at hope and peace and comfort and joy through him and what he's done. Help us to remember that. That in the midst of our average lives, you know what that's like. That in all the ways that we fail, all the ways that we feel below average, you've seen those as well. You've lived so many of them. When our lives get hard, help us to remember that your life was hard. When we sin, when we need a Savior, help us to remember that you are the Savior, that you didn't sin, that you came, you were born, you lived, you died to save us from the consequences of our sin. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.